Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We started this series a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to read the last two verses, the last three verses of Ecclesiastes 2 this morning. It says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather at the beginning of the week. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray you just speak to us this morning, encourage us with your word, wake us to your word, change us. Lord, pray that you be with those who are struggling this morning, encourage them. Lord, help them to know that you are with them and give us your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If I was to pass out a, a little card and I said, uh, no one's going to know this, but just me and you, um, and just pretend we're all just really good friends, um, I want you to just check yes or no on this little card. How would you answer these two questions? Do you feel in control of your life? Yes or no? And do you feel anxious because you are in control or not in control of your life? How, how would you answer that question? It would be a, yes, I feel in control of my life, or, or no, I don't, or I feel anxious about the fact that I might not be in control of my life. If you asked me how I would check those boxes, I would say, do you feel in control of your life? No. Do you feel anxious because you're not in control of your life? Yes. That really is a human condition, isn't it? That's mostly, if we're really honest, that's how we feel. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a book about life. And the, he's been the author and the preacher, the teacher. It's kind of like a philosophy teacher just calling us in and saying, listen, I've looked at life under the sun. I've examined things. And here's where I think it works. And here's how it goes. And at the end of chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, he's kind of giving his conclusion of his first thoughts. And what he said to us already is that life is fleeting. For really honest, life under the sun, life apart from God, it's, it's fleeting, it's enigmatic, it's mysterious, it's wacky, it's absurd. We, we, we can't figure it out. You can try as much as you want. You're not going to be able to figure it out. You'll always be surprised, and you will always not be able to find satisfaction in life under the sun. And in this last section, he's kind of giving his application to those two whole points. First Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10 says this. Hey, the, the people in the, that city, in Thessalonica, they, they'd come to Christ. Their, their lives had been changed. And it was said about them, he says, listen, everybody's talking about how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Two big things in that verse affect us back in Ecclesiastes. It says, first of all, you turn to God from idols. 
and then to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. Most of us would say, well, I don't really think we serve idols anymore. But it's not true. Ecclesiastes exposes to us, even in our day, all kinds of idols. And the second thing about that verse we don't like is it says to serve the living and true God and to wait. We are not a people who like to wait. And what is an idol? An idol is what you worship. The old English word for idol is worship. What we proclaim to have worth. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, as I've looked at life, he's very much about what's the gain, what's the profit, what is it, what has worth. And he looks all around, he says, I'm trying to figure this out, and he tried, he tried power, he tried money, he tried possessions, he tried pleasure, he tried laughter, he tried sex, all of them, and he found that life under the sun, there is no satisfaction, I can't figure it out, it's empty. And it even made him mad, he, was, he, was, he, he hated life. He says, he despaired at life. And then at this section, after all those things, he comes to the end and he says, here's my conclusion, here's my application. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in life. As I looked around, all I could say is life under the sun just sees the day. Carpe diem. Is that the answer? That's what we're told is often the answer. And this is kind of his conclusion. That's a sad conclusion if that's all there is. Because he already said that life under the sun is vanity. It's meaningless. You're not going to find satisfaction. So his conclusion is, in a sense, seize the day. That's a problem for us. Yogi Berra, who died this past week at the age of 90, whose own life demonstrates the reality of Ecclesiastes. So I've heard of Yogi Berra. I didn't know that he was so successful in baseball as much as he was. But one generation comes, and another generation goes, and you're forgotten. But Yogi Berra said this, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Really helpful stuff there. It's yogiisms. And that's kind of what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing here. He just gave us everything. He said, this is life under the sun. This is how things are. It's not going to work out. There isn't going to be any satisfaction to you. It's a big fork in the road for us. So when you come to a fork in the road, you have to take it. And as I was thinking about this this week and studying this week, I was listening to a guy named uh, John Olimbo, and, and he, he talked about a song that I really had never heard before, but I think it helped me with my thoughts. And it was an old Bob Dylan song from the 1960s. And he, the song is, the first part of the song says, Lay down your weary tune, lay down the song you strung, and rest yourself neath the string of strings, no voice can hope to hum. Lay down your weary tune, lay down the song you strum. For many people, that's life, isn't it? That's how we often feel. I wish I could just lay down this weary tune. I wish I could just lay down this song I strung, but I just can't do it. I read this sentence this week. The most dangerous thing about tomorrow is the temptation to forget God, which is to live and to talk and to act as if God doesn't exist. And that's a problem for everybody in this room because the idol that we all deal with in our culture 
The first Thessalonians says we should turn from idols to serve the living and true God. The one that I think Ecclesiastes verse 24 is talking about is this super blur that we live in life. We are an extremely busy people. We are very, very active. And it sounds like Ecclesiastes is saying, do this. Seize the day. Be as active as you possibly can be because then you'll find some enjoyment in your toil. Why is this a problem, this busyness that we all deal with in our culture? It's a problem because when you are so busy thinking to you how to seize the day, capture everything, it's all about production, getting things done, being active, being finding your worth. The question is, what's the gain of life? What is the profit? The question all of us want to really answer deep down is, am I enough? Am I enough? And the way our culture is said that you find out if you're enough is by what you get done, how productive you are, how busy you are, how active you are. If you get enough things done, people will notice you. You will have some worth and some value. And the first part of Ecclesiastes makes it sound like that might be true. There's nothing better for a person to do than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. The problem with that, the reason it's a problem is because it's overestimating ourselves and it's overlooking God. But this idea of being busy, be productive, be active, is huge in our culture. It's a massive idol that all of us deal with. Some of us recognize this, some of you don't, but I'm going to try to point it out this morning. This week at our kids' school, they all came home with these bracelets that are nice bracelets that says, today I can do anything. And it may mean good things, But what that is saying to all the kids in our little town is today you can do anything. So if you want to be enough, be active, be productive, be doing something. Make sure you're doing something. You can do anything you want. Just do it. You can do it. Is that true? Our culture says yes, but we know deep down in our hearts that's not true. That's crushing to us. It is a law to us. And we, we know it, but we say, well, i got to be busy. Busyness is an idol that we need to turn from because often busyness is where we get our worth from. Busyness has become just an, an idol of our day. There's a lady named Ann Burnett who back in 1976 started collecting Christmas cards. Christmas is 12 weeks away, by the way. And as soon as I said that, some of you just got awful concerned and awful afraid that you've got to get awful busy real quick and be very productive right now. Because you've only got 12 weeks to go. Ann Burnett collected these Christmas cards since 1976, and she uses these family letters about how you brag about yourself and all the things that are going on in your family. And what she's noticed through the years is how they have spoke less and less about Christmas and more and more about the hectic busyness of people's lives. One letter actually said this in their Christmas letter. This is their Christmas letter at the end of the year. This is how we celebrate our wonderful lives in America. It said, we start out every day at 4.45 a.m., launch ourselves through the day at breakneck speed. The experience is much like sticking your head in the blender, only to land a crumbled heap at 8.30 p.m., wondering how we made it through the day. And the scary part is that our lives are no more hectic and stressful than yours are. 
Isn't that how we look at life? More and more people are just talking about how busy you are, how busy you are. I'm really busy. I'm really active. And, and if my life is busy, then your life has to be busy because if that's what makes us somebody. It makes us enough. We feel like we can become something by being busy. That's what it sounds like it's saying in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. 52 years ago, Dawson Trotman, who's the head of who, the Navigator's Ministry, in a message 52 years ago, said busyness is the curse of the age. And someone later said busyness is the new spirituality. I would say busyness is the crown of the age for us right now, even for Christians. Just Google it if you want some busy work. Go home and Google American, the busy American lifestyle. And you will see all kinds of articles that are written by the Washington Times, the New York Post, about the busyness of American culture. Nobody anymore says they're fine. You walk up to somebody and you say, how you doing? We used to be, we're fine. Now you say, how you doing? Busy. I'm busy. Busy. How was your week? Busy. My, be- my week was crazy busy this week. How's your week going to be this week? It's going to be hectically busy. I am just so busy. Busy, busy. I, I got nothing to do. I have a 90-year-old uh, friend of ours who, when you talk to her, how's things going? Oh, I'm busy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she, it's her, her life is busy. That's our culture, isn't it? We are busy, 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 busy. And what we believe is that work will make us free. If we just work really hard, if we just really put in the effort, if we're just really productive, if we really invest our time, if we really do and do and do, then work will make us free. That's what it sounds like he's saying in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing better than to to work and to find pleasure in your toil. Work will make you free. Work will set you free. That's what our culture believes. That's what many of you believe possibly believe. Do you know where those phrases were plastered? Work will make you free, and work will set you free. Those were put over Dachau and Auschwitz, the concentration champs in Germany in World War II. Work will set you free. Work will make you free. The author of Ecclesiastes, when his life was very active, trying to find his satisfaction in life. Where was he going to find it? In money, in business, in building, in gathering, in collecting, in making. His life was absolutely complicated, he said. It was extremely complicated when he was so busy trying to find satisfaction. It was very complicated. And really what we all just want is what Bob Dylan said, if we're honest. I just want to lay down my weary tune. I want to lay down the song that I strum. I mean, wouldn't it be great? You wouldn't even know what to do if someone said to you, how, how, how's your week going to be? I got no idea what I'm going to do this week. I got so much time, it's just ridiculous. I'm pretty much going to read a book maybe, lay down, take a nap, enjoy some flowers, watch butterflies flutter. We would look at that person and we would say to them, get a life. You're wasting your life. Get a life. How can you not be doing something? Are you kidding me? Be busy. Because we've made busyness an idol. We find our worth, we feel, from busyness. We think that if we do enough 
things and we will finally be enough. But if we're really deep down honest, you work all week, you try to raise your kids, you pay your bills, and you still lay home at night and say, am I doing enough? Am I enough? And the Ecclesiastes say this is not really the way to live life. What, what we need, what we need is to be rescued from this law, this idol of business, this idea that by what we do, our production will make us somebody, will give us something. What we need is a big stop sign to say stop. Slow down. Verse 25 says this, For apart from him, who can eat? This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? And the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the teacher, he's saying, hey, look at the life. Look at life. Follow me with life. I had the opportunity to do it all. Check it out. See if your busyness is going to accomplish what you think it's going to be. And listen, I'm going to give you two options here. Remember the show Price is Right? At the end of the Price is Right, they always had the showcase showdown. And you never wanted to be the first person. If you ever watch Showcase, my grandma and I know this show. Uh, we watch Showcase Showdown. The first person at the Showcase Showdown, they give the big prizes. Hey, this is what you're going to get. And if you know anything about the show, you always say no to the first showcase. Because the first showcase is never as good as the second showcase. So you always want to say no to the first one because the second showcase has much better things, right? That's how the show works. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying the same thing. I examined life, I checked things out, and here's what you can have. Life under the sun, life after God, this is the first showcase. Be busy, be active, trying all the things you want, try to do, try to do, try to do. And bid on that, and what you're going to get is a sad tune where you're just going to sing, lay down my weary tune. I wish I could wait to lay down this weary tune. I wish I could lay down this song that I strum. But there is a second showcase, which it says, For I saw from apart from, from God who can enjoy or eat anything or can have his enjoyment. It is true. It is true that we can do things and be productive under the sun and find enjoyment in our work. That's what it says. There is a sense where life under the sun, we can work really hard and find some satisfaction. You can become really good at what you do and you can love it. You can be a teacher and not love God at all, but go to work and watch a kid get it and have that aha moment and you can get in your car and like, yes. This is why I do what I do. And it's good. But the problem with that is it doesn't last forever. And you have to get back up again the next day and say, oh, I hope that happens again. I hope I can happen again because i got to remember why I do what I do. And you can take any vocation or any skill and do the same thing with it. Because the showcase one that life under the sun has to offer is all about possessions. Possession. Me. My value. I will be somebody. What I will be able to do. I'm going to show the world. I'll be active. I'll be busy. People can know me. I'm going to prove to people that I am good enough. I'm enough. 
I was sitting at DeKal- I was up at DeKalb yesterday studying at the Starbucks close to NIU, and I walked in there, and the place was packed with all these very active college students. So I had to get a seat up against the wall facing the window, and a table was behind me, and there's two older college guys in their late 20s. And they were studying and talking, and talking really, really loud, one of them was. Talk about all his inventions and music stuff, and blah, blah, blah. You know, as loud as you possibly get. Let everybody know that uh, I am in Starbucks talking about how great I am. Sharing his story over and over, loud, loud. And then I'm tuned in here, got my headphones on, but I can't not hear his conversation. Talks, talks, talks. All of a sudden he goes... He's done. The guy next to him starts to talk, and he goes, oh, I got to go, and he left. I was stunned. So I was so stunned by the reaction that I turned to look, and the look on the guy's face that was trying to talk was just like, are you kidding me? But that's how we are. We're so busy. We're so busy that it's got to be about me, me, me. It's all about what I gather. It's all about what I possess. That's showcase one. That's a weary tune, and we all know it. But showcase two is all about a proper perspective. He says, I saw this is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? It's a, it's a simple faith is what he's calling for. He's saying, listen, life apart from God is frustrating, weary, rearing, it's tiring. It's a weary tune. But if you turn your life to God, the one who created this world, the one who designed things to be, the one who made it for you to be productive, the one who designed work and said it's good, if you turn to him and have a simple faith that trusts that God has the answers and is left with nothing better to do other than to, we are then left with nothing better to do than to enjoy with humble gratitude the gifts that God has given us. It's possible for us to enjoy work. We're supposed to enjoy work. We are designed to enjoy work. We are designed to enjoy flowers and trees and time with our families. Our culture says, be so busy, be productive, that you have no time whatsoever to enjoy anything. You have no time to savor any moments. And the Bible says that's not the way life is supposed to be lived. Life is supposed to be lived slowed down and be still and know that God is God. So that you can go to work tomorrow and be very active. But not because you're trying to find your worth. But because you want to give back gratitude to God for your worth. So I'm going to serve you faithfully. You can coach your child's soccer team. Or his baseball team. Or his football team. And not feel guilty that you're not doing something else. You can sit home and read a book. Or watch TV. Or watch football or watch sports, or cook a meal, and just enjoy it, and not feel like, oh, I should feel guilty about this. Because God created all of them. He's the creator of everything, which are meant for us to be enjoyed. And our culture says, no, do it as quickly as you can, gather as much of it as you can, but don't really enjoy it, because if you settle on something, you might miss out on what you're really worth. And God says, that's not how we're supposed to live life. He says, slow down, trust God. I know what I'm doing. I know how life is supposed to work. So if I've given you gifts, enjoy them. Don't pack your life so full that you can't enjoy the things that I have given you. 1 Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. 
giving. We're often so busy that we don't actually even enjoy the things that God has given us to do. And we get so frustrated because, well, what if this is all I'm doing and I find out what that person is doing? Well, then that person's got more worth than me and then I'm really nothing. And God says that's not the way life is to be lived. What we're supposed to figure out is what's important. And what's important is knowing God. And the way we know God is through his word and through prayer and the gathering together of worship. These basic rhythms of life. You say, well, I'm too busy to pray even. Let me read you this paragraph that I read this week. Punched me in the gut. It says this idea that we forget God often in our lives. He goes, do you believe this is a problem today? Try setting aside time in the middle of your day to pray or call other believers at your workplace to pray with you at the same time once a week. Because we're such a busy culture, it says, watch how the tyranny of work makes that 15 or 30 minutes feel burdensome, unnecessary, or inefficient. We build and build, fold and fold, work and work without any sense of who's in charge or what's really happening. We quietly, even routinely, build our own personal babble, each task just another block in our own Jenga tower. Trying to prove, see how busy I am, see what I can get done? I'm somebody. John Piper says, when we don't stop working When we don't want to stop working and pray, we are drunk with American productivity. He bases that thought on 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of our prayers, we must be sober. That is, not drunk. When we postpone, avoid, or put off prayer, we're inebriated with a sense of our own strengths, our own gifts, and output. I don't have time to pray. To the sober person, that's insanity. But our culture says, listen, all these practices of spiritual disciplines, reading God's word, praying, gathering, you're just wasting time. You can be so much more busy. You can be so much more productive. And then you'll really know you're valuable. God says, no, that's not the way it's to be done. Figure out what's important. Figure out what season of your life that you are in. All of life is built up on seasons. We can't do everything. And until we can grasp the season of our life and say, this is the season of my life that I'm in and I'm okay with that, my worth is not found in trying to be outside of my season, you're going to be frustrated. But when you recognize, hey, this is the season I'm in. There are some things I can do. There's some things I can't do. And that's okay. Because what I do is not where my worth is found. But be very careful. Because seasons of life can lead to cisterns of life. You can go through a tough season of child raising or pain or suffering. And that difficult season can just get you through and you're just like a cistern at the end. You're you're burnt out, you're exhausted. You don't want to participate again. But the reality is we're supposed to not just go through seasons of life and come out cisterns. We're supposed to go through seasons of life and then come out flowing channels of life and say, hey, listen, that season's done, but now I've gained some wisdom. I've got some knowledge. I can pass this on. I can be involved again. I can be active again in a way that's pleasing to God. So what's important? Figure it out. 
What are the seasons or what season of your life are you in? And what are the resources? Who's going to help you recover in all this stuff? That's what resources mean. Who's with you? Who's going to help you not become bitter or angry or burnt out? Find those people, wrap them around you, and stay with you. We need the stop signs to slow us down sometimes. But what's going to help us break this chains of fighting the idol of busyness and thinking that our worth is found by these things under the sun? That doing is more important than being. He says it in verse 26. It's seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. He's saying there's two showcases. The second one. The first one is at the bottom. He reverses them. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. If you take the showcase that I've got to be productive to find my worth, you're just going to end up with toil. There is another song that we can sing. And he says, But to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, which is what we want. We want to rest beneath the strength of strings. No voice can hope to hum. How do we get to that one? How do we get to the second showcase? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. There was one that pleased God. God looked at his world. Man rebelled against it. It was broken. It can't be fixed. And God says, I love the world. And so I'm going to send myself. I'm going to come in the form of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live the life that they, we cannot live. And Jesus came, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Galatians 2.20 says, For as Christians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith is the gift of us, to live a simple life that says it's not about what I do. I don't always have to be so productive to find my worth. Because I, that, that person who was convinced that you have to be busy and active and, and always moving to, to build my worth, my brand, that person's dead in Christ. That person was trying to make it on his own. But my hope is in Jesus Christ who said that God was well pleased with him. And God gave him wisdom and knowledge and joy. And if we are in Christ, we have wisdom and knowledge and can have joy. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. You can't do enough to find your worth. It'll always be a sad tune. Until you say, I can't do it in myself. I need somebody outside myself to help me. And Jesus said, I'm the one outside yourself to help me. And I'm pleased with you if you are in me. You don't have to keep striving. You can rest. You can rest your weary soul and come find hope in me. But it's a fight, isn't it? It's an absolute fight. So every day we need to be reminding ourselves that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I don't have to pick up the toil anymore. I don't have to pick it up and think that I've got to do it. I've just got to rest in the one who did do it.
And it's not that life isn't going to be challenging. It's not that life is going to be difficult, unpredictable, terrifying at times. But it's simple faith that takes God at his word and says, in the midst of this confusion, I will trust you. I will trust you when you say that I am okay. I'll trust you with whatever comes from your hand. What kind of life does that look like? What does it look like in real human terms? I'll tell you what it looks like. We all know uh, Caleb Duvick and Kelly Duvick lost their baby a few weeks ago. And tough, tragic situation. Well, this week, on Kelly's Facebook page, Wednesday, she put this out. She says, yesterday began like any normal morning in our wacky world. I woke up, got ready for work, headed out the door, approached my car. Wait, where's my car, I thought. Confused and numb, I ran panicking upstairs to our condo, screaming, Caleb, Caleb, someone stole my car. After a brief 911 call and detailed questions from an officer, we spent the rest of the day trying to make sense of it all. How did this happen? The doors were locked. Our neighbors should have seen something. The the car was taken before 11 p.m. We received the call we'd been waiting for nearly 12 hours later. Your car was in a wreck last night. Flipped upside down. The driver's nowhere to be found. The car's been impounded, and we're releasing it to you now. I'll file a report for your insurance company, and the call was over just like that. When we are trying to earn our own way, we're trying to become somebody, we can't be content yet. But God wants us to be content. She says this, helpless. Helpless is probably the most adequate word to describe our feelings over the past few months. There has been nothing that we could say or do to change our situation, no matter how hard we tried. I was thinking yesterday, why does it take something, such extreme things in our lives to realize that we are helpless? It may be because it's so much more evident in times of need, but we are never in control. No matter how hard we try to protect and guard our family and ourselves, if we are honest, we must admit that we are really weak and powerless. Life is out of control. We could spend our days living in fear, trying to fight the evil in this world, but we would fail every single time and all would be in vain. Instead, I'll choose to trust the one who is in control, who loves me unconditionally, and who will overcome the evil of this world in due time. When, we are, when you are weak, he is strong. When you feel helpless, he is in control. When you are lost, he can be found. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. That is boots on the ground, simple faith in the midst of a crazy, crooked world that can't be fixed, that's mysterious, unimaginable, constantly bombarding us with things. But that's choosing showcase number two. Saying, even though I don't understand everything going on, God, in my life, I'm going to trust you. Even though I can't figure it out, I'm going to trust you. And in that, I will have wisdom, I will have knowledge, and I will have joy. Some of you just need to go home this week and stop doing some things. Stop doing some things. Be content. Find your rest in Jesus Christ. See him. Savor him. Slow down and know that God is God. And ask him, what is it you would have me do? And choose showcase two and live life in 
joy. I'm fair. 